more antagonism, if you will, towards the gospel, towards the truth in general. And so this morning, I hope, I hope that as, uh, as we open up the book of Hebrews, um, we find that encouragement to not grow weary. And, and normally I have... Um, I normally have a slide presentation for you guys, but in the chaos of this morning and not being at my normal location, it was hard to get all of that together. And so this morning, we're going to open up to the book of Hebrews chapter 12, probably a familiar passage to many of you, but I want to break it down. And now we've been working through the book of Hebrews in our church back in Nipigon, and it has been fantastic just to see the supremacy of Christ in all things. And it's easy, I'll just say as a Christian, to, to come on a Sunday morning and go, Christ is awesome. I love Jesus. He's so great. And then we get into our daily lives and temptation comes. And it's so easy to fall, fall away from, from the truth that even we learned just the day before or a week before. And, and to, to come back and, and have the author of Hebrews lay out how great Christ is and then get us to a point where he says, but there's this real aspect to life. There's a realness to living each and every day. And that's where, that's where the rubber meets the road. That's where our faith becomes reality. That's where we, we learn what it is to trust Jesus and walk with him on a daily basis. So before we get into the word, let's go ahead and open in a word of prayer. God, we thank you so much for your love and your grace this morning. God, we are thankful that as we gather in this place, Lord, as the body of Christ, Lord, I'm thankful, Lord, as Martin just even addressed this congregation as family. Lord, that's what we are. We're a... We're a a family of God, children of God, saved by grace, by the blood of Jesus Christ. And this morning, Lord, we worship you. And God, we ask that your spirit would lead and guide us and teach us from your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So a little bit about myself before we get into the word. Um, my name is Jeremy Hetz. Uh, I have my son Jude here with me. Uh, he, got, he was the lucky one who got to come down and, and hang out at Joy Bible Camp while I was speaking this week. Uh, I've been married for 20 years now. Uh, it'll be 20 years in May. Uh, it's crazy that my wife has put up with me for that long. Um, but we have four, four kids in total. Uh, my oldest goes off to college. She turns 18 in just over a month. And uh, we're just in a few weeks, actually, three weeks. And oh, that's crazy to think about. Man, I feel old now. So, uh, but anyways, uh, so my wife, Candace, isn't here. She's at home holding down the fort with my, my three daughters. And uh, we, we have been in Nipigon for uh, 16 years, going on 17 years now. And it has been one of the, the best decisions I've made to, to come and pastor a church. Not that it's been easy, but it's been one of the best. Because, man, I love preaching the word. I love seeing people grow in Christ. And so I hope that this morning as we open up uh, the, the word that you guys will grow as well. So um, Hebrews chapter 12. We, we get to this interesting point in, in, the, in the book of Hebrews. Now, he's laid out in the first basically 10 chapters the theological basis for why Christ is so amazing. And then we get to chapter 11. In chapter 11, what does he do? He lays out these amazing people who have gone before us, right? The, the, the hall of faith, we call it, right? We got, you got Abraham, you got uh, Jacob, you got, you got guys like, like Joshua and all these guys that are, that are lumped in here. And he uses that as an example for us to say, look at these gentlemen, look at these people, look at these, these awesome figures from the Old Testament who have gone before us, if you will, who have laid a path for us to follow, and that, that is trusting God by faith, each and every day. Now, I, what I love about the, the Hebrews chapter 11 is, you guys ever read through that list of characters? How many of you guys read Hebrews chapter 11 before? 
Okay, good, about half of you. The other half, I encourage you to go do that this week. It's a great, uh, great book. Uh, but Hebrews chapter 11, if you look at every one of those guys, how many of those guys were kind of messed up? Right? Now you look at these guys, you okay, these people were not perfect. I mean, Abraham lied not once, but twice. Abraham didn't trust God. He had, he had basically a child that wasn't the child of promise. You, you, have, you have Jacob, who is a conniver, a schemer. He was a liar and a cheat right? And yet he's there as an example of faith. You, you, have, you have all these characters. You have Rahab, the, the prostitute, and all these people. And, and, and we get to chapter 12, and the author of Hebrews tells us, look backwards at these people. And he does that for two reasons. I, I think first and foremost, he tells us to look backward at the people who, who are in Hebrews chapter 11, because we need reminding of what it is to trust God and to look forward to his promises being fulfilled. That's first and foremost. And I think the other reason is because when we get to chapter 2, he wants us as followers of Jesus to realize that we are unable to separate ourselves from that same group of people because we are united to them by faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I love that because there's imperfect people who trusted God. Now, God says, now you're an imperfect person. Now, trust me like those guys did. Trust me and look forward to what they were doing. And so in Hebrews chapter 12, verses one and two, what we see here, he says, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So this is, how we, this is the opening exhortation to chapter 12. Let us run with endurance. Let us get rid of the sin and the things that weigh us down in life. Do you guys struggle with sin in here? I do. I'm far from perfect. I can really relate to some of those guys in, in Hebrews chapter 11, right? That flesh that, that just rears its ugly head, the sin that just holds on tight and anchors itself to our hearts and our lives and, and just weighs us down in, in the life that God has called us to. And so he says, run with endurance. We're gonna look at that word in just a second, but he says, looking unto Jesus, who is the author, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. He says, look to Jesus. You run the race. Don't, don't focus on your sin. Don't focus on your shortcomings. How many of you guys do that on a regular basis? Man, I screwed up again. I sinned again. Why do I keep doing this? Because you're human. You're not perfect yet. We're not, we're not in eternal glory yet. So you're going to struggle with sin until the day you die. Not that you want to, not that you should desire that, but that's the reality of life. We're going to struggle with sin until the day we die, but we're thankful that we have Jesus, who is the founder and perfecter, who went to the cross, despising its shame, and is now seated at the right hand of God. When we walk through life, what the author of Hebrews says, we already have victory. We already have the, 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 the victory over sin and death. It has no hold on us anymore. We're free to serve Jesus because we know him by faith. So we think about that. But there's this word I want to focus in on before we get into verse 3 here this morning. This word endurance. If you guys were to go to the Webster's Dictionary and you were to look up the word endurance, this is what you would, uh, this is what you would get. It says the ability to withstand hardship or adversity. That's a pretty good definition, isn't it? The ability to withstand hardship or adversity. Any of you guys ever been through tough times? Yeah. We, we, maybe we struggle financially. 
Maybe we struggle with sin. Maybe we have family issues. Maybe there's work issues. Maybe there's just, you can probably fill in anything in between all those categories. We all struggle with, with life issues, right? And, and we're supposed to run with endurance, the ability to withstand hardship or adversity. But I want to go a little bit deeper with this word because if we go and we understand what the, the biblical text means, what the Greek means here, it has the ability, the, the, the sense of this word says, the power to withstand hardship or stress especially the inward fortitude necessary. So it's not just the ability to endure it, but the inward fortitude to actually say, you know what, this is what God wants for me. This is what he's allowed in my life. And so therefore, what am I gonna do? I am going to go and continue to live by faith. The inward ability. Now we have a lot of Finn people. Is there any Finn people here? No? Any, any Finnish people? Oh, we would call this Sisu. You guys ever heard that word before? Sisu, it means intestinal fortitude in Finn. Now, what's interesting is my dad came a few years ago, and uh, in Nipigon, there's all these cars driving around with these bumper stickers that say Sisu. My dad goes, what is that, French for sissy? <laughs> I said, Dad, you can try to tell somebody that. Yeah, let me know how it goes. I'll start digging a hole in the backyard. But, um, <laughs> but there's one guy that when I, was, when I was reading this passage that came to mind, his name is Eric Lydell. Any of you guys heard of Eric Lydell? Anybody's heard of the movie Chariots of Fire? Okay, this is, this is Eric Liddell's story. Okay, in 1924, Eric Liddell was basically uh, running in the Olympics. And his, 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 by far his best event was the 100 meters, 100 meter sprint. He could do that and he, could, he was really good at it. And, and so he gets to the, the 1924 Olympics and what happens is uh, that, that 100 meter race is on a, on a Sunday. So guess what he did? He didn't run. He said, I'm going to go to church instead. I'm going to be faithful to Jesus instead. And so he's trained in the, in the 200 and 400. And, and so he actually went on in the 1924 Olympics to win bronze in the 200 and then also set a world record in the 400 meter race. It said that the guys who were chasing him and trying to catch up to him were actually tripping and falling because they couldn't keep up with his pace in the 400 meters. I think that's God blessing Eric Liddell, isn't it? And, and so what, what, what's great, we, we can get inspired by that movie, Chariots of Fire, but Eric Liddell's life went on so much, so much past the, those Olympics. In fact, in 1928, uh, sorry, in 19, uh, just after 1928, he went actually on to serve in China Inland Mission in China. And he taught young boys the Bible, and he taught young boys how to play sports on the mission field. And, and what was great is he, he went there wholeheartedly, and in fact, stayed there too long because he ended up in a Chinese internment camp during the, the communist revolution. You know what he did when he was in the internment camp? He laid down in his bed every day and he felt sorry for himself. Cried himself to sleep every day. No, that's not what he did. He got up and he preached the Bible to these young men who were in internment camp with him. He taught them the words of Jesus Christ. He taught them what it was to be a, a follower of Jesus, a man of God. And he, so he gets up and he does, and, and he, this is what he did. He didn't feel sorry for himself. He did what God wanted him to do. In fact, he died in that internment camp just a week before it was opened up again. And he was buried behind the school where he first started preaching in China. This is a man who, who loved God, served God. And I, I venture to say in our world today, how, how many of us, if this happened to us, would probably collapse and just say, I'm done? 
I, I just want you to look at that honestly because I, I looked at this passage and I looked at this, this text, I looked at this story and I thought, you know what, God, I wish I, I, I had the intentional fortitude to, to continue and endure with you. God, I hope that if that ever came to pass where I had to put my faith and trust in you to that extent that I would be like Eric Lydell, where it would be without compromise. It'd be without remorse so that I could follow you wholeheartedly and be an example to others. Shouldn't that be our life goal? To follow Jesus, to preach the gospel and, and show other people what it is to trust Jesus. That should be our goal. That should be our aim. And that's why this, this message I titled, Don't Grow Weary. And really, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 3 through 11. Hopefully, get through them. I know you guys, uh, you guys are usually done by 1.30-ish. <laughs> 2 o'clock. Okay, I got, a two, I got a 2 o'clock. So, okay, we're good. We're good. If you guys, if you guys start walking out, I know you got to finish up, okay? But Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3 says this. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. So we're just commanded in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, to look to Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, and run with endurance the race that is set before us. And then he says this, don't grow weary. Like I said, I've been in ministry, I've been in, in ministry for over 20 years, uh, full-time pastoring for 16, 17 of those years. And I tell you what, there are times where you want to quit. You guys ever felt like that in life? You find yourself in a difficult situation. You find yourself in a tough situation. You find yourself, and you, you sometimes want to say, God, why have you allowed this? Why have you brought this into my life? What are you doing? You guys ever feel that way? This is not what I signed up for, God. Those are the prayers that we pray sometimes. And let me just tell you what, the author of Hebrews, I think he knows, I think he knows when he's writing to his audience here that life is not always rosy. It's not always fun. It's not always easy. So he says, don't grow weary. And how do we not grow weary? We consider Christ. We consider Christ. And that word consider means to think about, ponder, comprehend fully. Okay, so this word uh, consider means look at Jesus and don't just look at what he did for you, but per perceive the, the depth of it. Understand the richness of it. Understand the fullness of what Christ has done for you and how he endured from sinners. You can look back at, at the cross of Jesus Christ. This was a man who'd never sinned. This was a man who healed the, the, the lame and, and healed the sick and, and he brought sight to the blind. This is a man who loved everybody. And yet, the Pharisees hated him. And they convinced the people that they should crucify him. And, and, and Pilate, he stands before Pilate, and what does Pilate do? He goes, I find nothing wrong with this man. He's done nothing wrong. What is he guilty of? Other than the fact that you don't like him. That's a paraphrase. That's not in the Bible, okay? But he goes, he goes what, what did Jesus do? Nothing. And he even has him flogged. I don't know if you guys are familiar with this process. It is not pleasant. They tie you to a three-foot post. They make you kneel on the ground. And they, they whip you 39 times. And the whip that they used was probably something like the cat of nine tails that had a piece of bone metal. And, and it, basically, when, when they were done with Jesus, he didn't look like a human being anymore. And Pilate again parades him back out at the, to the crowd, hoping that it would invoke some sort of pity, and they request that a murderer be released over Jesus. 
He's made to carry his own cross. He's uh, made fun of. He's mocked even by the men who are crucified with him. And yet his response to them is, Father, forgive them. Can you imagine that? This is our Savior. This is Jesus Christ, the man who suffered such hostility from the hands of sinful men. And he did it for sinners like us. So that he could become our sin and he could, he could pay our price in full so that we, by faith, can look to Jesus and say, I trust you as my Lord and Savior. And he says, all your sins are forgiven. Peter would remind his readers and his audience in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. I love what Peter says there. You want to stop struggling with sin? You're going to have to suffer for Jesus. Now, how do you guys wake up and say, that's, that's what I want? Jesus, can you bring a little bit of suffering in my life? Anybody? You know what Paul said? He says, I want to know the sufferings of Jesus. Why? Because if I know the sufferings of Jesus, then I know Jesus a little bit better than I do right now. You see, that's the, and Peter says, arm yourself with this way of thinking, the same way of thinking, that we have a desire to not sin, but a desire to know Christ in the fullness that we can. Now he says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10, he says, and after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. You know what the call of the Bible is this morning is don't run from suffering. Paul would say in Romans chapter 5, let suffering do what it's supposed to do. Build your character, build your endurance, build, build into you the things that God desires for you. In fact, Paul said to the church in Corinth, Corinth, for this light momentary affliction is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Amen? You see, and, and when we look at Hebrews chapter, chapter 12, verse 3, it says, don't grow weary. Don't grow faint-hearted. Don't give up. Keep running the race. Keep fighting the fight. Why? Because look at what Jesus did for you. If Jesus, our Lord and Savior, didn't give up and he went all the way to the cross, and as he hung on the cross, he saw the back of his father. You know why he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because in that moment that he became your sin and my sin, God turned his back on him. And broke fellowship with him because he paid the price in full. So when you think, I can't do this anymore, look to Jesus. Don't grow weary. Endure. Have that intestinal fortitude to continue. I want to read you what Charles Spurgeon said. When I think of what Christ suffered, I'm ashamed to call anything that I have endured suffering for his sake. He carried his heavy cross, but we only carry a sliver or two of it. He drank up the cup, uh, or sorry, he drank his cup to the dregs, and we sip a drop or two at the very most. Consider how he suffered far more than you can ever suffer, and how he is now crowned with glory and honor. And you, and as you are to be like him, descend like him into the depths of agony, that with him you may rise to the heights of glory. The believer under persecution should remember that he is suffering no strange thing, but is only enduring that which fell upon his master before him. 
Should the desire or should the disciple expect to be above his Lord? If they have called him, called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? If they receive, if they had received Christ, they would have received us. But since they rejected both Christ and his sayings, the followers of Christ must expect that both their persons and their doctrines will be lightly esteemed. The author of Hebrews is challenging us to, to don't, don't live a life for Jesus and expect that the world's going to love you for it. I see that, that, that truth and that reality becoming more and more evident every day that we, we are alive on this earth. Like I said, more hostility, more antagonism to the gospel. And he goes on to say in verses 4 through 5, he says, If you struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard, regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. So the author of Hebrews then goes on to say, not only should we consider Christ, but he says, don't forget who you are. You're a child of God. Amen? Amen. Saved by the blood of Christ. And he says, look, you have not resisted sin to the point where you've been shedding blood for it. And he says, but I also want you to remind you that sometimes the suffering of the Lord is actually because of the discipline that comes from God. Now, how many of you guys like the word discipline? Anybody? One guy in the back. Okay, one guy in the back. I, I like you. Okay, uh, I don't know who you are, but I like you. Okay, so um, we don't like the word discipline. We think of discipline, what do we think? Bad things. I've done something wrong, therefore I'm disciplined. Uh, you know what's interesting is that the word discipline actually has the primary meaning of teaching. Isn't that cool? This word discipline and what we think is discipline. Why, why do we discipline our kids? To teach them something, right? Now, is it fun? No. Is it pleasant? No. If you enjoy disciplining your kids, please pray. Okay? But, but the thing is, we, we, we as, as parents discipline our children because we love them. Because we don't want them to run into traffic. Because we don't want them to, to treat their siblings poorly. We want them to be respectful. Whatever the scenario is, we want to teach them what it is that is right. And sometimes what we look at here is that, that God brings about discipline into our lives because sometimes he needs to get our attention. You guys ever had God get your attention before? How many of you guys, when, you get, when God gets your attention, it's usually in a pleasant situation? You see where I'm going with this? Usually it gets our attention through discipline. Sometimes it's to correct a behavior, correct a way that we're going in life. Sometimes it's to remind us that he loves us even in the midst of failure. I love that about God. Is that sometimes he corrects us so that we can be reminded of his love. Albert Moeller, who is uh, the president of the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary and, uh, and conference, he writes this, discipline is by nature unpleasant. It's painful, but it has a purpose. Parents know what they're doing. Children don't always know why they're being disciplined or how the discipline is an act of love, but it's necessary that children understand these things at every point. If children understood all this in advance, they would not have done whatever it was that required discipline. Certain lessons can only be learned through discipline. Isn't that the truth? There are things that I learned growing up only because my dad was faithful in disciplining me. Like, don't light the forest on fire. 
Me and my brother thought it was great. We, we put these rocks in a row and we got a bunch of oak leaves and we threw them on top and we lit them on fire and the neighbor was not very pleased. Probably whose yard we were using to light this fire. And I tell you what, man, we, we, got, we got spanked and then we got grounded and then we, my dad hid the matches. But it was one of those things, right? Guess what I never tried to do again? Light a fire in my neighbor's yard and catch the forest on fire, Okay. We get to, to verse 6 and 7, we realize that not only is, is discipline necessary because we are loved by God and children of God, but discipline in and of itself is a very act of love from our Heavenly Father. Now, how many of you guys, when you wake up and God is disciplining you for whatever you've done or whatever you need correcting in your life, go, God, thank you that you love me? Do you think that maybe we should? Maybe when it's hard, maybe when it's difficult, maybe we should say, God, thank you that you love me. Thank you that you care about me. Because Hebrews chapter 12, verse 6 says, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. There's that word again. You have to endure. Right? Trials and tribulations produce endurance in our lives, right? But discipline is also something that we have to endure from the Lord because we know that he loves us and he disciplines the one whom he sees as a child of God and the one whom he sees as a child of God, he wants us to know that he delights in us and that's why he's not willing to let this sinful or wrong behavior continue. You know why this stuff's in the Bible? So we can be reminded of this is the fact this is the way we need to think about these things. That God is doing a work within us. And he goes on to say, actually, if God's not disciplining you, there's a bigger problem. You see, but Proverbs chapter 3, verse 11 and 12 says this. Because he actually quotes, this is the, the verse he quotes in saying, the Lord disciplines whom he loves. He says, my son, do not despise the Lord's discipline or be weary of his reproof. For the Lord reproves him whom he loves as a father the son in whom he delights. You know what's interesting is Proverbs chapter 3, 11, and 12 is just a few verses past Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. How many of you guys know that verse? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and all your ways acknowledge him and he shall do what? Direct your paths. Fast forward a few verses. And by the way, don't, don't misunderstand what God is doing when he disciplines you along that road. Continue to trust him. Continue to walk by faith. Continue to do what it is that God wants you to do. And as I said, because if God is not disciplining you in your life, I could ask you this morning, how many of you guys are struggling with sin? How many of you guys are struggling with sin that maybe nobody else knows about? And I guarantee all of us at some point, we can raise our hand in some capacity, right? Maybe you're dealing with, uh, with, with honesty issues or, or pornography issues or financial issues, and you know you're doing things that aren't right. You know that there's sin in your life, known sin, but yet God doesn't seem to be there. If God is not disciplining you and God is not convicting you, God is not working in your heart and life, there's a bigger problem. Because what he says in verse eight is, if you are left without discipline in which you have participated, then you are an illegitimate, you are illegitimate children and not sons. Again, you can't sugarcoat this verse. Sometimes we'd like to skip over it. But what the author is saying here is, if you, if you are not receiving the discipline of the Lord in your life as a follower of Jesus, He's not saying you're unsaved. He's not saying you've lost your salvation. And this is important, catch this. Because earlier he says you can be disqualified. If you don't run the race according to the rules, you can be disqualified. 
You guys realize that if we have sin in our life and we, and we don't listen to God and we don't, we don't allow God to correct that sinful behavior, we can actually go down a road in which we are disqualified from his service. Isn't that scary? Every one of us should wake up and have the desire not to be disqualified, to run our race and, and bring glory to God. And so when we don't have the discipline of the Lord, you know what? Because of your life choices, you're robbing yourself of blessings that could come to you be, by God because of your sin. You're robbing yourself of God's fellowship in your life. You're robbing yourself of eternal rewards. Think about that for a second. Paul exhorts the church in, in, in Corinth in chapter three. He says, look, live your life in such a way that you are going to receive reward and blessing from God. He says, because at the end of the day, you're going to put upon that foundation, which Christ has laid, either wood, hay, and stubble, or gold, silver, and precious stones. And then God's going to light it on fire. And what remains is your reward. I thought about this verse, and I thought, how much of my pile am I willing to give up? sin how much of my reward am i willing just to let go because i want to fulfill my flesh and i thought to myself god what what if i get there and there's the pile that's on on the foundation and when it's burned up sitting right next to it is the pile that could have been i don't think that's the way god operates but that's what made my mind think god what am i doing here what am i doing in this life Am I receiving and, and, and accepting what it is that you're bringing into my life for your glory, for my, for my walk with you, for, for, for me to live in such a way that you are pleased and honored? You see, because the scariest thing for a believer is if God lets us go in our sin. Tony Evans describes that as the passive wrath of God, where God gives you over to your sin. That's what he tells the church in Corinth with the guy who's, you know, sleeping with his stepmom and the sexual immorality that's going on there. And he says, look, you can, you can rebuke him, but the thing he needs because he's not listening is to be given over to the world so that his flesh might be destroyed. That's a scary place to be, isn't it? When we as Christians fail to heed the discipline and the warnings of God, when we fail to, to listen to the Spirit of God convicting and, and shaping us, when we fail to heed and walk in obedience to the Word of God, God can give us over to our sin. Let me ask you this. Have you ever read in a place in the Bible where somebody is given over to their sin and it ends well? The, the point is, let us lay aside the weight and the sin that so easily entangles so that we can run with endurance. And sometimes, you know what? We need that course correction, don't we? We need God to come alongside and give us a holy smack upside the head and say, get it together. Now, if that analogy doesn't work for you, that's what works for me because I have a thick skull, right? I'm hard-headed. I'm stubborn sometimes. Sometimes I just need a swift boot from God. Maybe God needs to just come and lovingly put his arm around you, and that's awesome. I'd rather have a loving arm than a swift boot, you know what I mean? But we want to accept the discipline of the Lord. And again, the author brings us back to this example that we have earthly fathers in verse 9. It says, We have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Now, how many, can I just ask a question? How many of you guys respected your parents when they disciplined you? 
Okay, was that during or post? <laughs> post. <laughs> okay, so I was like, man, that, that, that's impressive that you're like, thank you, God. Thank you, thank you Dad. Thank you, Mom, for, for whatever you did to correct me. No, I, I hated the fact that I got in trouble as kids. Like, my, my, dad, my dad had a paddle. You guys are something like, oh, those are bad memories, okay? My dad, he took my sister, he set her on a three-quarter inch piece of plywood, and he traced her butt. And put a handle on it. I like the, I like the way some of, the, some of the older folks in here are just chuckling. They're like, man, that was a good idea. I should have done that, okay? And, and my, dad, my dad's always his big threat. This was my dad's big threat with this one. I'm going to drill holes in it. That way the air can move faster. I'm like, okay, dad. Like, he never did, thankfully. But I mean, he took it. He routered the edges of this thing. I mean, he made it look nice. And he kept it behind the speaker. So wherever we went in the house, every time we walked by the speaker, we saw that thing. And it served as a reminder that we had to try really hard not to get caught. Okay. You thought I was going to say something different, didn't you? Like I said, we were stubborn kids. Now, now what's interesting is, is when me and my brother were young, like 10, 11 years old, we lied about everything. My, we, had a, we had a split home. My parents were divorced. Um, uh, we didn't particularly care for my stepmom at the young age. And so we tried to do everything we could to make our life difficult. And, uh, and so... Naturally, we developed bad habits, and one of those bad habits was we lied a lot as kids. Anybody lie to their parents as kids? Okay, good. There's like three of you who didn't. Kudos. No, okay. Uh, but, but the reality is, is, you know, my dad got tired of it, and he says, here's what's going to happen. Every time you tell a lie, it's five, five swats with a paddle. Now you think, okay, that's not so bad. But it was cumulative. So if you told two lies, you got ten told three lies, you got 15. Well, I got to about 15 and I was done. I'm like, it is not worth whatever lie I'm going to tell. I'm just going to tell my dad the truth from now on. My brother, on the other hand, he didn't get it. Bless his heart. He go, he's like, my dad would say, go get the paddle, wait in your room. You know what he would do? He'd go down there. He's got like eight pairs of underwear on, three pairs of shorts, two pairs of pants, and some sort of book shoved in there. I'm like, you are missing the point of this, brother. Like, just, just get it. And, and so uh, I think my brother, my brother, it took him a little bit longer. But man, it was fun to watch. You know, it's like, and my dad, he'd come downstairs and he'd try not to laugh at him. He's like, here's the state, you know, Michelin man, you know, like getting ready for his discipline. But the point is like, when we think about our earthly parents, I mean, when we were in the discipline, we didn't really enjoy it, did we? But let me tell you what, I look back now as I have kids of my own and I am thankful that my dad cared enough about me to correct the bad behavior in my life. And he did that as an unbeliever. As just as a good dad who wanted what was best for his kid. You see, and we have to look and say, how much more does God love us? How much more does God love us? And you need to answer that question. Go back to verse three. Consider Christ and what he endured at the hands of sinful men. How much more does your heavenly father love you and love me? That he would look at sin in our life and say, no, that is robbing you of what a life you could be living, a ministry you could be fulfilling, a, 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 a role you could be playing in the kingdom of Christ. Consider Christ, consider all that he's done and realize that I love you enough that I am not gonna let the sin in your life go unchecked. 
He says, look at your parents. Didn't you look back and respect them? And then he says, shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? You see, now here's the thing. God wants us to have life, doesn't he? And what he means by that is, is life with meaning and purpose. Life that matters for eternity. Life that, that brings honor and glory to God. It's not just, oh, you get to live. No, you get to live as a child of God with purpose and meaning and, 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 and bringing glory to God in the kingdom of, uh, of heaven. Isn't that amazing privilege? Paul says you're an ambassador of Jesus Christ given the ministry of reconciliation. This is our life. And he says, so be subject to God. Submit to God. Live a life for God. Why? So that you can know what it is to truly live. Because let me tell you what, the world, what the world tells you is life is not. Partying on the weekends, sleeping around, doing whatever you want, whatever gratifies your flesh, that's not life. I've sat with enough people who have sat at the end of that road in, in, in emptiness and brokenness. It's not life. What is life is living for the glory of God. And he goes on in verse 11, he says this, for the, mo for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness for those who have been trained by it. You want to live a, li live a life that uh, has purpose, but also bears fruit? Then you got to run with endurance. You got to fight the good fight. And you have to be willing to let God do what God does best. And sometimes that's painful. Sometimes it's hard. But the end is always worth it. Amen? All right, let's pray. God, thank you so much for your love and grace this morning. God, we are sinners. And God, sadly, when we trust you as our Lord and Savior, that flesh doesn't go away. That desire for sin doesn't stop. And God, sometimes we have to deal with the reality that all of our sin has consequences. But Lord, behind the discipline and consequence that comes because of our disobedience and rebellion against you, there is a loving Savior who endured the cross, who wraps his arms around us and says, I love you. Let's get back up and do this again. And God, thank you so much for all that you've done for us through Jesus Christ. And God, I pray that if there's somebody here this morning who's maybe thinking, there's a God who loves us that much. God, that this morning they would make the decision to trust you as their Lord and Savior. God, they would surrender their life to you. And God, that is, if we do know you, if we've, if we've walked with you, Lord, we would just be reminded of how great it is to continually surrender our lives to you. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.